we're just in a new series. And it is on the Gospel of Mark, and it's called Marked. Uh, and we want our lives to be marked by our encounter with Jesus through this study. And if we will encounter Christ in faith, we will be changed. And God doesn't want any of us to just stay the same because none of us are yet fully conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, His Son. There are attitudes that I have, ambitions I have, actions that I have that are not yet fully pleasing to God. And so I still need my life marked by Jesus. And so each week we are going to be asking the question, God, how do you want to mark my life? How do you want to change me uh, so that I can live more fully the life that you meant me to live? We want you to get the most out of this series. And so if you haven't picked up a, one of the half sheets of paper, which lists all of the texts we're going to be preaching during the series and recommends uh, portions of Mark to read in advance of the series, please do that. They're uh, also near the offering box. And so the more you put into this study, the more you're going to get out of it. And so be reading the gospel of Mark. Also on that uh, half sheet of paper, there are two online Bible studies that can help you dig deeper into the Gospel of Mark. You'll notice uh, the journey group directories for winter-spring have come out. And some of those groups are going to be processing the sermon. And so that's another way to go deeper. But we want you to uh, get more out of this series than you can just by coming and hearing, although that's a great first step. And if you miss, you can catch up online at clearwater.church or download the app uh, Clearwater Church app and take the sermon with you on the go. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Mark chapter 2. Today we are looking at uh, verses 13 through 17. This is the calling of Levi. Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 13. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. So Jesus is beside the Sea of Galilee, and he's teaching the people. And by the way, so he's standing on the seashore, the sea's behind him, which is, uh, for us Alaskans, I've been there, it's like a big lake. You know, it's like, uh, yeah, it's just a big lake. Uh, but if, you're, uh, if your back is to the sea, then there are hills coming up, and so the people, it's like a natural amphitheater, it'd be a great uh, I'm sure that's why Jesus uh, chose that spot. Verse 14, And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So this is the calling of one of the apostles. Levi is better known as Matthew. 
Uh, this is the calling of the Apostle Matthew. He's the one who wrote the Gospel of Matthew. And what is unique about Levi is the fact that he is a tax collector. And so Jesus has invited a tax collector to come follow him, be part of his inner circle, ultimately be entrusted with the gospel going forth in the world to become one of the, uh, his inner circle, an apostle himself. Tax collectors. Uh, they, they had a worse reputation in Jesus' day than they do in our day. A uh, tax collector today gets a salary from the government. That was not the case back then. You had to go to the authorities and buy the right to collect taxes. And how did you then make money? You taxed people more than they actually owed, and you pocketed the difference. And so the more unscrupulous you were, the more willing you were to extort people, the wealthier you got. And uh, many tax collectors were quite wealthy, and the commoners hated them. They were therefore viewed as, um, as dishonest, right? They're telling you, you owe $5,000, when you know I only owe 3000 But they have the power of the state behind them, and so they're bullies. They'll throw you in prison until you pay. Uh, they'll maybe bring some Roman soldiers and beat you up. And, and so they're bullies. And beyond that... Many of them are collaborating with the enemy, the hated uh, Roman occupying army. Now, it's probable that Levi actually worked for Herod the Tetrarch, so not directly for the Romans. But Herod was only a half-Jew, and he was not liked. And um, tax collectors, you could not be a member of a synagogue if you were a tax collector. The popular Jewish literature of Jesus' day uh, lump tax collectors in with murderers and uh, robbers. They were considered uh, cut off from the people of God. They were classified as that lowest uh, person farthest away from God, sinner. Which is why in the Bible we often read, uh, he was a, the tax collectors and sinners. It was sort of this category of despised people that... Uh, the good Jews believed were so far from God that they had no chance. And Jesus calls one of these guys to come follow him. And before we soften it by thinking, okay, well, maybe Levi was showing remorse. Maybe Levi was uh, demonstrating a, a desire to change and to become a better person. That's not what we get from the story. There's a crowd following Jesus, trying to learn from him. And where's uh, Levi? He's at the tax table, sitting, sit, seated. He's not part of the crowd. We have no indication that he ha is, uh, is trying to better himself or, or reform himself. He's there at the tax table doing what he's always done in that despised uh, activity and Jesus says, come, follow me. There's some great news in this story. And one of the pieces of good news is the fact that no one is beyond hope. And we're going to see that that's what, uh, that's what some of Levi's friends, other tax collectors and sinners, uh, noticed. Wait, if, uh, if Jesus is willing to call Levi, maybe there's hope for me. No one is beyond hope of salvation. And that is good news because there are people who believe 
I've run too far for too long. There's no hope for me. I am part of that sinner category, and uh, God has no interest in me. I've done my, the things I've done are too bad. I've gone too far, and uh, it's, I have given up on any chance of a relationship with God, of a spiritual life, let alone eternal life in heaven. But Jesus wants us to know it doesn't matter who we are, where we've been, what we've done, how far or for how long we've run. Right now, we can begin to follow Jesus from where we find ourselves. As uh, Pastor Steve Holsinger used to say, when you find yourself in a mess, give God something to bless. You get up out of the text uh, from the seat and you begin to follow Jesus and instantly you begin to experience uh, God's presence, his favor, and his uh, life. And, and everything begins to change. So that's good news. Another piece of good news is that Jesus didn't say, go clean up your life first, Levi, and then come follow me. Levi, I can't have people whose lives are a complete train wreck following me. That would be, you know, uh, lower my reputation. So I want you to go clean up your life, and then when you've got yourself, you know, looking pretty good, then I want you to come follow me. No, he just calls him right out of his sin. Come follow me today, right now. You don't have to clean up your life before you follow Jesus. And, and another piece of great news that we'll see in the story is that uh, Jesus will clean up your life in the context of a relationship by the power of his Holy Spirit as you follow him. It's the process of sanctification. But that happens after you begin to follow him. And he does that work uh, in you by his spirit. So Jesus says, follow me, Levi, follow me. And the Bible often talks about the Christian life as being a follower of Jesus. A Christian is a follower of Jesus. And what does that mean? Well, it means that Jesus is out front and you're watching him and you're following him and you are listening to his teachings and you're trying to obey his teachings and you're watching the way he acts and you're trying to emulate that. And it means that you're hanging out with him, right? To follow Jesus. That's a, it's a good word picture. Is Jesus the leader of, of our lives? Are, and are we, are we following him and, and he's taking us where he wants us to go? Now, I suspect that uh, Levi's understanding of what he was doing was uh, very limited at this point in the story. Now, Jesus, when he says, Levi, follow me, Jesus sees the full picture. He knows that he is, in, uh, he is calling Levi into a lifetime of discipleship. He knows that he is calling Levi to actually uh, do a career change. You're not going to be a tax collector anymore. You're going to become a fisher of men. You actually become one of the apostles, and your life is, uh, you become uh, entrusted with the gospel and going forth into the world. Jesus knew when he said, come follow me, that he was going to teach some things that Levi could not comprehend. He knew that, he, when, that when he said, follow me, that there was going to come a time when being Jesus' follower was no longer the cool thing. He wasn't the hip rabbi the crowds were following. In fact, to be a Christian brought down persecution on your head. And Jesus knew when he said, follow me, 
that it would actually lead Matthew all the way to martyrdom. I don't think Levi understood all that when he got up from the table. I suspect that he thought, I'll try this out. Uh, I'm, I'm sure that Levi was shocked that a rabbi would say, come be my student. What self-respecting rabbi would invite someone from the tax collector sinner category? We know from the Pharisees that that was not what was at all expected. Nobody else was doing that. So I'm sure Levi was like, wow, I've been invited by this uh, super popular rabbi to come be his student. Absolutely, that's cool. But I don't think he thought it was for a lifetime. He thought, let's go, let's go to college, right? Let's try this out. I can always come back uh, and uh, do the tax collecting later. So why did he stick around for a lifetime when things got tough all the way to death? I think the answer to that is given to us in the Gospel of John. In John, Jesus uh, seems to be ratcheting up the rhetoric. And he's, he's saying, if you want to be my disciple, you've got to. And he keeps raising the bar to where it, it really becomes sort of absurd. He says, you've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. This is pre-communion, pre-the right, cross and resurrection. And we read in John chapter 6, many who were his disciples, stopped following him and said this teaching is too difficult for us, and they walked away. Many. So people who would have told their friends and families, I am a disciple of Jesus. He's my rabbi. I'm following him. I'm learning from him. They got to a point where they're like, this, let's see, he's, we cannot go along with this. This is craziness. In fact, so many left that we read in John chapter 6, verse 68, or 67. So Jesus said to the 12, the apostles, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. See, I think that Levi started out uh, trying out discipleship. And then by walking with Jesus, following him for a couple years probably, he has now concluded, as has Simon Peter and the rest of the apostles, right? He's speaking on their behalf. We, we have come to know, we have believed. They've come to recognize who Jesus really is. The way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. He is the long-awaited Messiah, uh, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, the Holy One of God, the Son of God. They've come to conclude that if they want to go to heaven, if they want a relationship with God, it comes through Jesus. We have nobody else we can turn to. So even though you're teaching us things that they, those apostles didn't get it any more than the other disciples, what was the difference? It's not that they were smarter and said, oh yeah, we've got it all figured out. It was, we know who Jesus is and even though you're telling us things that we don't understand, we're still following you. Even though you take us places we don't know or, or you know, we don't know why you're taking us here or command us to do things we don't understand, we're still going to follow you because we have become convinced that you are the Son of God and you have the words of eternal life and if we keep following you, ultimately, you're going to take us right up to heaven. And so, I want to ask you, have you moved past 
trying out discipleship to committed to Jesus Christ all in for a lifetime discipleship. I think it's very appropriate for people to try it out. Everybody, I think for most people, it's, it's a come and see start, right? Come and see. Begin to learn from Jesus and see what happens. But there's got to come a point in your life, if you want to be a true disciple, in which you say, I believe. And I have come to know that you're the Holy One of God and I'm all in. Has that happened for you? That's what the Bible means when it talks about conversion and uh, to be a Christian. You've repented and you have put your faith in Jesus. You're not trying him out anymore. You're all in. And in fact, that's, baptism is not appropriate until that moment. That's what baptism signifies. I, I have dying to my old life and I'm raised to a new life in Jesus. And there is nothing wrong with counting hands raised. Churches do it all. I don't have any problem with that. But here at Clearwater Church, we don't count anything but baptisms. Well, we count other things, but it's baptisms. Why? Because we figure if you have faith in Jesus Christ, uh, it should get you all the way to that point where you say, I am publicly declaring I am all in. And so baptisms are a big deal for us. And if you haven't been baptized, do recognize that it is a command Christ has given you. I was 17. I was, I, I was a Christian, loved the Lord, followed him for many years. 17, somebody got up and said, baptism is a command of Christ. If you haven't been baptized, you ha you're not walking in full obedience. I went, what? <laughs> Nobody ever told me this before. I went down and got baptized that day. And so if you're, if you're an all-in Christian and you haven't been baptized, hey, do that. Go public and we, we have a tub we can bring in here and fill up with water and it's even warm. Yeah. Verse 15, and as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. So I don't know if it was that night, I don't know if it, were, it was months later, but at some point, Levi throws a party for Jesus, a dinner party, and he invites his friends. And of course, who are his friends? Other tax collectors and sinners, because the respectable people wouldn't have anything to do with him. In fact, in uh, Jewish society at the, this day, there were laws against uh, people, you know, they um, regulated with whom you could have dinner. You couldn't invite a Gentile over to your house or you would become religiously unclean. You couldn't invite a tax collector or a sinner over to your house. And so for Jesus to be eating with tax collectors and sinners, to be reclining at table with them, uh, said something very significant and something that the Pharisees did not like being said. And what does it say? It said, kind of like today, if, you, and if somebody says, come on over to my house for dinner and you come over, at least you're saying, I don't mind being in your company. Uh, I find you somewhat interesting. At least your food is good, right? And uh, there is, there is a, a level of acceptance and approval or an interest. And so Jesus is saying to tax collectors and sinners, hey, you matter. And you're worth my time and energy. And you know what? There is hope for you. Just like I called Levi to come follow me and he's now into, in, entered into a relationship with God, that can happen to you. And this was a scandal to the Pharisees uh, because Jesus is saying 
You don't have to clean up your life first. You don't have to reform yourself first before you can enter into a relationship with God. See, I think uh, the, Jew, the Pharisees had a very particular worldview, which caused them, and I'll talk about it in a moment, it caused them to react negatively to uh, Jesus having dinner with Levi and his friends. Verse 16, And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? That's not a question. It's an accusation. It's wrong. What he is doing is wrong. And how in the world can he be a rabbi, a religious teacher, and be doing this? This, this doesn't make sense. This is totally inappropriate. See, the Pharisees... Um, let me give you a football illustration since we're in that series. The Pharisees thought, look, if you want God's favor, if you want him to notice you and approve of you and begin to work in your life, you got to pick up the ball and by your own effort, move that ball downfield. You got to reform yourself morally. You've got to uh, demonstrate that you're serious by you know, pulling, up, pulling your bootstraps up and through your own will and effort, become a, a, a good Jew. Uh, eat kosher, uh, celebrate the Jewish festivals, give to the temple, and uh, you've got to become a, a, a basically good lawgiver. In fact, the, the Jewish uh, religious system of the day was you, you earn your salvation through your good works. And so Jesus is having dinner with people who have shown no effort at all. What is he doing? He's, there are, there are, there's a crowd, there are all kinds of good religious Jewish people he should be having dinner with and, uh, and helping them be better. What's he doing hanging out with these tax collectors and sinners? And that was scandalous. But here's the reality. The reality is that with the coming of Jesus Christ, salvation was not through good works. Not that it ever had been. It had always been through faith. But salvation was, was not about reforming yourself morally, not by being good enough. You got saved by becoming a follower of Jesus Christ. You entered into a faith relationship with the Son of God, the long-awaited uh, Messiah, the Holy One of Israel, and... It was that faith relationship that saved you. And this is a complete, radical, different religion. Don't blow past that. That's why Jesus says you cannot put new wine into old wineskins. The old wineskins will burst. You can't try to stuff what uh, the new covenant and the, the gospel, you can't kind of try to fit it into old time Judaism. It won't fit. It's a completely new thing. And you want to get saved, you get saved by entering into a relationship with me, becoming a follower, my follower, not by becoming good enough. And that was, that's part of the scandal of the gospel. And now Jesus, I don't think any of those tax collectors and sinners thought, oh, Jesus eating with us means that he approves of our sin. They, nobody thought that. They knew Jesus was a, a very upright, uh, godly, godly man. They didn't think he approved of her sin. But, 
But what Jesus is uh, communicating is, you follow me, and then you begin to change. And, and we know from the rest of the scripture that it's by the power of his Holy Spirit that he places within us. And as we learn from Jesus day by day and begin to put his teachings in place, empowered by his Holy Spirit, we do change. It's the sanctification process. But that doesn't save us because none of us, this side of heaven, will finish that process. And there's not some mark, you know, aha, you, didn't make, you made it to the 20-yard line, okay, you're in. You made it to the four, uh, you know, the 14, sorry about that. No, it's faith in Jesus that saves you, and then you begin the process. Now, I wish some of you would accelerate that process a little bit. Ha ha, that was not pre-planned, sorry. <laughs> stick, stick to my notes. Verse 17, and when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well, so what has he heard? He's heard this accusation. Why is, he, why is he eating with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, before, uh, I missed something. I want to hit one more verse before I jump in there. And that's also from John 6. And this is very interesting. So um, some people came to Jesus and they wanted to know, what, you know, what does God require of us? Verse 28 of chapter 6. Then they said to Jesus, what must we do to be doing the works of God? What, what effort, right? What good works, what moral reformation do we need to be doing? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God. That you give a whole lot of money to Clearwater Church. That's not what he says. That's not a bad thing. No. This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. What does God want? That you believe in Jesus. It's the faith that saves. All right, so Jesus has told him, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. And this is a proverb that they probably had heard before. Doctors hang out with sick people. Because their mission in life is to heal the sick. It would be absurd for a doctor to only hang out with healthy people. How does he uh, or she accomplish the mission? Jesus is saying, I have a mission. It's to bring spiritual healing to spiritually sick people. And so it makes total sense for me to be hanging out with the sinners. They're the ones who need the gospel. They're the ones who need to have uh, the life of God begun in their lives. Now, of course, the rest of Scripture tells us that there is no such thing as righteous people. We are all sinners. It's just sort of a matter of degree, I guess, because the Romans tells us, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is none righteous. No, not one. So we actually all need uh, the good news of the gospel. We all need to follow Jesus. So the mission of the church the mission of the church, take the gospel to sinners. And you know what? The church got it. And so globally throughout history, the church has taken the gospel to all peoples. They've taken the gospel to the prostitutes. They've taken the gospel to the sex workers, to, the, to those who are selling the sex workers. They've taken the gospel to the drug de dealers. We all need the gospel. No one is too far gone. Everyone can become a follower of Jesus and have life completely changed. 
I want to end with this question, and the question is this. Which, which party would you want to be invited to? The party thrown by the Levites, uh, by Levi, or the party thrown by the Pharisees? And which party do you want Clearwater Church to throw? Think about it. If Clearwater Church operates on the Pharisees' vision, then we say, get your life cleaned up, right? Get your mar- marriage in decent order. Get your kids under control. Uh, don't, you know, get your addictions figured out and become a respectable, decently moral person and then come join us and uh, we'll have a party of the good people and we'll help each other be even gooder. And what's Levi? What, what's Levi's party? Levi's party is Jesus is the center, right? He's the guest of honor. Everybody's there to hang out with Jesus. And yes, there are disciples there, some of whom have been following Christ for a while and whose lives uh, have, are pretty amazing because Christ has been transforming them. And they're wise and mature and they're healthy and their families are looking great. And then you've got uh, tax collectors and sinners, People who are still addicted, people who are st- uh, still have a foul mouth and go outside and take smoke breaks and whatever, right? And, and they're all there to hang out with Jesus, and that's the party I want to throw. That's what I want Clearwater to look like. And I'll tell you, you know what? Uh, when you catch that vision, it makes you a lot uh, softer, and, uh, and you just are like, hey, Come as you are and begin to follow Jesus. And where you are right now might be pretty rough, but you know what? What you look like 10 years from now as the Spirit of God works in your life, it can be amazing. That's the attitude we need to have. So I have seven takeaways from the text. I'll just read them quickly. Number one, no one is beyond hope. Number two, you don't have to clean up your life before you start following Jesus. Number three, moral reformation doesn't save you. Following Jesus saves you. Number four, Jesus changes us in relationship by the power of his indwelling spirit. So if you just keep learning from Jesus, you will keep changing. Number five, we need to go where the sinners are. Bring the gospel to the sinner. Show them that you deem them worthy of your attention. And you know what? They're going to see God's love in that. Number six, inviting people to learn from Jesus is an, is an appropriate first step in evangelism. It's okay to just say, come and see. You know what? Just start learning for Jesus, from Jesus and see what a difference that makes in your life. And then finally, have you moved beyond trying out discipleship? Have you committed yourself to following the Holy One of God who has the words of eternal life for a lifetime?